This week on the Vergecast, Dita reviewed the Galaxy Z Flip. We talk about the state of folding phones. Julia Alexander joins us to talk about the streaming wars. We go deep on Android 11, which is out earlier than ever, and we talk a little bit about Apple maybe letting you set default apps on the iPhone. That's Vergecast, coming up now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of, I would say, questionably sourced phones. Hmm. We'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into it. I'm your friend, Neelai. Dieter Bone is here. Hello, hello. Howdy, hi. Paul Miller is here. Hello. And I have exciting news. Julia Alexander is going to join us for the second segment to talk about my favorite, the streaming wars. Love them. Love them or hate them. Gotta <laughs> love them. <laughs> love them or hate them. Your prices are going up. That's what I know about the streaming wars. Uh, but Julia knows more about that stuff than anybody. There's a lot going on. Excited to have her on. Let's let's do it, Dieter. Do you want to you want to tell the story of our weekend? So uh, you may or may not have heard that uh, the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip folding phone is available. I put available in quotes because, so far as I could tell, when it went on sale on Friday, uh, it was there were like three per Best Buy, and there's four uh, Samsung Experience stores in America. And the one that I called that's local to me in Palo Alto said that they were getting fewer than 10. So it sold out immediately. Who knows how many they actually produce, but they sold out immediately. Sprint stores were sold out. AT&T stores were sold out. Um, by the next day, everything was gone. It was real, a real struggle. I got a 24-hour uh, loaner from Samsung, which is an interesting period of time to, to give a review unit out for. Um, and I also bought one from Best Buy. And then Best Buy said, yep, we'll ship it to you. You'll get it by Saturday. And then they said, just kidding. We're Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I spent all day Saturday literally calling around the entire country to various random Best Buys, AT&T stores, and uh, Sprint stores trying to find one. And we were reaching out to friends, family, and ex ex coworkers. Shout out to Micah. Yeah, Micah Singleton. Make sure there's somebody in the city that could go buy it for us. Um, I eventually did manage to acquire one. Um, <laughs> In fact, Dieter robbed an influencer. Yeah. No, I I have one. Uh, It it unfortunately was like the Korean version of one. Uh, So, uh, but it's basically the same. However, the one that I have actually reviewed, Best Buy did come through. uh, And so I actually have two now. I have have one from Korea and one for, uh, that was designed for America. You know, even if it's not a lot of demand or not a lot of absolute units, you know, people want them when the Sprint stores are selling out. When people are like, yep, I'm going to take the Sprint one. <laughs> it folds, but Sprint, I'm going with it. Uh, my version of the story is that I was I was home. 
was a weekend. Uh-huh. And Dieter, just just a flurry of text messages. Yeah. I can't get this phone. What's going on with this phone? I hate the phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to buy a phone. Can I? Ex- <laughs> how much money can we spend on the phone? I'm flying to L.A. Like, Dieter, don't fly to L.A. I call Micah. Dieter's like, what if I go to L.A. anyway? Uh, I kind of want to go to L.A. I it's think nice. there's one in Irvine. For a little bit of context, 24 hours is not the typical amount of time that you spend with a phone when you are reviewing it. So that I had that, and I had to give it back after 24 hours. So I needed to purchase one so I could do a review because right. I'm not going to review a phone based on 24 hours with it. So right. I, I want to talk about that in particular. I will say it's like it's becoming a recurring theme in our lives. Uh, the idea that we'll just release it, right? Mm-hmm. We'll do, and I don't mean to like throw any shade at influencers because we obviously cover them. I think it is a vibrant new economy. It's like a whole new kind of business. It's all happening over there. Uh, it's very interesting. But you see this happen a lot. They buy influencer marketing campaigns. So Motorola with a razor. We can just pick on the razor. Motorola holds a razor launch event. A lot of influencers. Yep. Some tech people. Not a lot of tech journalists. They don't want the scrutiny. Right? And then they say, you're not getting your review unit or getting this very short review period. And then things weigh on sale. Right. And to me, it is an absolute, and I'm, Dieter, I'm very curious for your take on this too, because you're reviewing more stuff uh, than me. But to me, that is just an absolute signal the product is broken. If you do not trust a reviewer to hold the thing for a week, use it, ask questions about it, answer the questions about it, and then write a thorough review of the product, it means your product cannot withstand the scrutiny. And it is just borne out every single time. It's not every single time. It's it's every single time when you think that might be what's going on. <laughs> but there are cases where companies like, look, we just we just want to get this thing out really quickly, um, or they're like, they're very confident in it, and so they will just you know, Apple will have reviews go up on the same day as say like pre-order day in some cases, yeah, uh, or like before or after pre-orders happen. Samsung uh, does similar things. Uh, they will they'll put it out with like no embargo, or they'll put it out basically the day it's released. And sometimes that means like what it means with movies, where if the critics don't get to look at the thing before it shows up in theaters, that's a sign. And sometimes it just it's like actually a genuine sign of confidence. And you kind of just have to have a gut feel for like what game is being played with this particular phone release uh, from time to time. Yeah, you're right. You're being more charitable than me. <laughs> and to, to play devil's advocate a little bit, because I. I Typically agree with this. This is typically a sign that it might it, it could very well suck. But the this flip phone thing is almost as much a fashion accessory as it is a piece of technology. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's I mean a, that is the dream of the tech industry. Yeah. So they're living in their dreams. But like you know, we um they still have to work. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. oh, hopefully oh, they, yeah. still, <laughs> they still have to not break. Theoretically, yes. Uh, and I would argue, and you know, uh, this is like debatable across a number of metrics, but like uh, most people gaze at the fashion industry and they're like, oh, that looks weird. I want my clothes to be functional as well. Like, right? Like, there's an element of this where even that industry has to, like, you can't sell a $10,000 purse that doesn't hold anything. Like, it's like, it's not going right, to, it has to right, like, right, do right. its job, right? But so Paul's talking about fashion. Like brings to mind my my number one complaint with the way that these foldable phones are getting released, and that's that these companies aren't setting the context correctly. And this might get into the fact that over the weekend there was a bunch of drama uh, about the Galaxy Z Flip's fold specifically. Zach over at Jerry Rig Everything did what he does with every single phone. He scratched it, which is what he does. Like it is it is a thousand percent predictable. If you make a phone that's notable at all, 
cherry rig everything is going to take it and it's going to use his little hardness Mose picks on it and see where it scratches. So he did that because that's what he does. And guess what? <laughs> the screen scratches like really, really easily. Like just indenting it with your fingernail can do it. I tried that at the launch event. Didn't really see it, but on the review units and in that video, like once you actually get on it, yes, you can you can do it. It feels firmer than other plastic screens, but you can scratch with your fingernail. And so there's like, well, what the hell? Um, and the thing that gets me is that outcome was completely predictable. Instead of waiting until it happens and then reacting and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, we have a premiere program with screen replacements and, you know, you can go get a screen protector installed for you professionally <laughs> by you break, I fix. That, all that happened after the fact. They could have just led with it. And if they just release these phones in the context of um, – I think the, the way I put it is it should be somewhere in between like a sneaker drop and Google Glass. Treat them as like high fashion experiments that are limited edition, mm -hmm. limited run so that nobody runs into this thing or looks at this thing or talks about this thing with the expectation that, um, you know, anybody's going to buy it. Really? That's how I look at it. But uh, these phones get released as though they're just regular old phones. And so instead of saying, look at this weird special edition thing, let's see what it's like. Maybe someday it'll become real. We have to say look at this phone that you shouldn't buy that they claim is normal, but it's not, and so now don't buy it, but we're going to look at it anyway because if it were a special edition phone that you wouldn't buy, uh, it tells us something about the future of the phone industry. Like, you have to go through this whole convoluted mess, and mm -hmm. nobody does that because why would you? Because it's a, it's a huge pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I just think you're, you're uh, as is uh, traditional, being far more charitable than me. <laughs> I, I, I would say that's our dynamic here. Uh, yeah. they, they didn't do it because they don't want to. Like, these are choices they're made. They're not mistakes, yeah. right? Samsung employs most of Korea in the service of marketing their phones, right? Like, the, like tens of thousands of people work at Samsung on marketing the phones in every country that they're going to put out. They have agencies upon agencies working on this stuff. There are millions of dollars and lots of hours and lots of smart people working on how to launch every single phone they put out. And then on top of that, there are the carrier partners who have the same marketing, sales, distribution strategies to manage as well. It is not a small project. It is not one person. It is this massive machine. And when the machine works, they launch the S20, right, which we'll talk about next week. And that will be a perfect clockwork launch. They'll put out the phone. There'll be reviews. The camera will be great or not great. It'll just happen. It'll just be the thing that you expect. They will distribute millions of units over the course of the next year. They will market those units. They will, like, they'll just do it. And you know exactly how the machine works when it works. The idea that it's a mistake or they, did, they overlook something or they didn't consider what you have described, right, and they just missed it, I just don't buy it. Like, I don't buy it. Like, you have to believe that they're dumb. Or they didn't spend all the money, or all the brains well, aren't working. How are they? I mean, all the ads, I don't see a lot of ads because I aggressively block ads. Uh, but uh, most of the ads, I, or all of the ads I've seen for the Z Flip show it as a sort of a fashion thing. Like it looks like I might be seeing an ad for makeup or clothes, but it turns out it's for the Z Flip. Yeah, I mean, look, they've got a new hardware form factor. That's just like when Apple did, I mean, I, I always come back to the iPod. I mean, I've probably talked about the iPod and how. Steve Jobs and Tony Fidel like handled the iPod design over years. Like one year it was big, one year it was small, one year it was fat, one year it was skinny, one year no buttons. Like they changed the way it looked and they got to market an appearance mm. over the functionality of the phone. And I think so much of phones right now, the function we take the functionality almost for granted. 
Like we review a, a modern flagship smartphone, we are mostly talking about whether it can resolve a strand of hair at 50 feet or five feet, <laughs> right? Or whether the color temperature is accurate or not. We're not like, yeah. does it run the apps? Does the screen disintegrate into a thousand pieces if you touch it? Like mm. that we take all, we take a bunch of phone stuff for granted. Dieter, to your point, we're no, we cannot take any of that stuff for granted with foldables because we just don't know what they're like. And so, yeah, they're marketing. I think they're marketing it as though it's a regular phone and a new form factor, mm. right? They're not, they're not emphasizing the fact that like the form factor shift has caused a reset of everything else that you would expect. And I think that's actually, the, it's the evidence of the mistake. They're like, if you just had some more money, you would get this cooler form factor that's uh, an S20, but it folds. But like, really, you're not getting that. You're really not. So like, Z Flip review should be up around the time that uh, this podcast gets posted. So I'll just say, I actually think that the Z Flip is, it's the, it's the best foldable phone with the best hinge and the best feeling screen. And so what? Yeah. Because we don't know what counts as the right, the best. Well, we don't know what counts as good yet. We're like still figuring that out. But I do think it, after using it for about five days, it started to just feel normal. Like it's not a normal phone, but it starts to feel normal and a little bit boring, which is where these phones should go. So in that sense, it's like closer to what a folding phone should be than any other phone because it, I was able to start taking it for granted just a little bit. Um, however, uh, it's not an S10 or an S20 that folds in half because in order to get it to fit, in order for space, in order for price savings, it just, to, just to make me sad, I don't know, they chose to put camera sensors in it that are just, like, not quite as good as they could have been. It's, like, not quite up to, like, S10 standards. It's better than, you know, the Razer, which is the lowest bar possible. <laughs> but it's not quite where I hoped it would be. Yeah. And, I, you know, like the packaging of the phone, like the entire – if you think about a candy bar phone – the middle is like available for use. You can like put stuff there. If you think about a folding phone, like the middle of the candy bar is the hinge. Wait, which middle are you talking about? Like the sides, to, the sides, the middle, the middle of the phone. Like this the, part the middle of, of the, the phone. Front. You're not, pointing at it. it's a podcast, Neil. Uh, <laughs> pull, pull over in your car. Pull okay. out your phone. Okay. Hold your phone in your hand. Right, right, right. See the middle of it, the dead middle of the display, where the uh, where the five is on the dial. Right. Okay. Right? Okay. okay. Behind that is like usually like a battery and some uh, chips. Yes. Right? Maybe some antennas. Yeah. A sensor that's probably tracking everywhere you go. So you're really talking about the core of the phone. <laughs> the core, the heart of the phone. Uh, but it's, that's, it's a chunk of space. A folding yeah. phone is like a bunch of moving parts. Yeah. Yes. And so they, have, they just have physically less space to package all this stuff in. Mm. And I think that is, again, Right, that's a huge trade-off. Or is anyone talking about this trade-off? Like, how, absolutely not. How does how do, if you're holding this is a little bit of a tangent, but if you're holding a Z Flip and you're holding like an iPhone 11 or Max or whatever, like where is it like weight and thickness chunk-wise? Chonk it's a it's about the same thickness when it's open. It's a about the same weight, maybe a little less than a max. I haven't actually checked the grams, um, but it's about the same height. It's about, like the, the 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 Z Flip is a tall boy when it's opened up, mm -hmm. um, so it's very very tall. Uh, but it's narrow uh, at that height, so it's like a twenty. It's like twenty-two by nine or twenty-one point nine. It's 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 some very narrow aspect ratio, uh, which makes video sort of hilarious on it. But it does make it feel like a pretty big screen because if you're holding it in portrait and scrolling, you get just a ton of stuff on your screen. Mm. Um, so that's great. Um, and I'm not even that unhappy about the thickness when it's closed. It's slightly thicker than like two smartphones, like 
sandwiched together because it has a little bit of a gap on the hinge. Um, but that's a trade-off that like I fully understand because uh, if I had a pocket that couldn't fit a big, tall phone, um, then maybe a little thickness is worth the trade-off so that it's not sticking out of the back of my pocket. Mm. Or you know, fitting in a bag or whatever. But but when it's open, that balance and that size and that weight feels very normal. Phone. Yeah. So that's a, that's that's why I say that the Z Flip approach is normal. Like I was able to take once you like stop like saying, all right, is the hinge any good? Does it make like grinding noises? How do I feel about the <laughs> crease? Is the screen sharp enough? Am I like protecting it from the elements? All of that stuff. Once you get rid of all that stuff, then mm. you're like, oh, the camera's not quite as good. It's like literally the review I'd write of like. You know, a OnePlus phone a year ago or two yeah. years ago. It's like, oh, like this. Everything here is great, but the camera is just not quite up to snuff, right? Like, and that's a that's a nice thing to be able to do to just be like, I'm gonna just review this almost like a normal phone. Mm. <laughs> but of course, that was only like the back quarter of my review because I still had to talk about the hinge and then the glass. And maybe we should briefly mention Sean Holster wrote a really excellent story detailing how the glass works on. Um, on yeah. the Z Flip. Sean has been uh, working on this story since like the first time we saw the Galaxy Fold. Yeah. Like he's been cranking away trying to find the suppliers, talking to material science engineers. He worked with the Verge Science team. Like he's been, so you go read it, and there's just this one, one like line. It's a classic Sean line that's like the punchline of the story, which is like anything folds if it's thin enough. Yep. Which is like, it's just a kind of a threat. You know? yeah. <laughs> so basically, the, it is, they call it ultra thin glass, and it is very, very thin glass. Yes. Samsung Display claims that they make it. Samsung Display is separate from Samsung. But in fact, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a group of companies that make this, starting with a, a German company called Schott. And then there's like, it, they make the glass and then like stuff happens to it and then Samsung display puts a layer of plastic on top of it to protect it and that's what you can scratch and indent with your thumb and you know it's all there uh, but it's it's just like it is in fact glass all the conspiracy theories that it wasn't glass were not true but that just because it's glass doesn't mean that it's good well, okay <laughs> yeah. if it's glass that bends that it's not rigid and I guess for some reason, when Samsung announced this phone, say we have a flexible glass, like I was like, well, that's that's impossible. But also, that would be nice because that means you'd have a hard surface, yeah, that you're interacting right. with. There, but if a, it's flexible, yeah, it's not hard. So, well, no, if it's flexible, it's still hard. It's just uh, it's very thin. So if you get one crack in it, the crack instantly goes all the way through and the glass shatters. Yeah. Or the, the crack ruins the structural integrity of it. So, uh, like, uh, he has this really great photo that's really obvious. Like, imagine a piece of foam and you bend the piece of foam, right? And the top of the bend is just a bend. Uh -huh. Now, imagine you, like, put a scratch in the, top of the in, the, in the top of the foam and then bend it. Like, eventually that scratch grows. It ruins the structural integrity of the glass. So the reason Samsung had to put a plastic layer on top of the glass is a tiny nick, some tiny whatever, uh, could ruin the structural integrity of the glass so that when you bent it, it would just shatter. Yeah. So there's this, there's this line from last week we were talking about T-Mobile and Sprint. There's this line in the case. It's like, Dish is going to build a network that the lawyers can use and no one else can use. And that is exactly how I feel about this glass. It is such <laughs> a technicality. Yes, it is a folding glass display, but the thing you touch is plastic. And it's like, yeah. It does feel firmer than the Galaxy Fold and the Razer. Like, it feels better. I just, it just okay. doesn't feel that much better. Yeah. I mean, you, either way, you, you have spent more time. I feel like the Razer just doesn't count. <laughs> oh. <laughs> really like, yes, it's better than the Razer is, as you have said, like the lowest pot. 
Like it doesn't, does it creak? Like it's dying every time? No, you it doesn't creak. But so they have tiny little bristles in the hinge <laughs> mechanism to try and keep dust and dirt out. And you can't hear it. But if you like put it literally next to your ear, you can hear the bristles a little bit. Oh, when my it, like, God. It gets the maximum extension. It's great. Sorry. Did you see what the tagline is for Samsung Ultra Thin Glass? They have a whole, like, thing that they're going to sell to other companies, and they're very excited, and there's, like, PR for it, and they have a, they have a marketing tagline. Would you like to hear it? I would. I, nothing more. Samsung Ultra Thin Glass. Tough, yet tender. Oh, no. <laughs> that's bad. That's not what you want. I don't want tender glass. <laughs> that's, like, that's just a, like a crying cowboy. Like, what? <laughs> what, what is that all about? Okay. I mean, yeah. I get it. They they did yep. it, and, you know, again, read Sean's piece. Corning is at it. Shot is at it. Like, everyone understands the problem. The thing that is great about uh, big competitive markets, lots of players, lots of money, everyone understands the problem. Uh, one can assume we are, you know, uh, there are lots of smart people spending lots of money to solve this problem. Right now, what you have is uh, tough but tender. Uh-huh. Uh, the tough is presumably the plastic, and the tender is the glass, and I think that is maybe backwards. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's the I, right. That's the bar. Like Dieter, last week we were talking about the the razor, and you're like, I don't know how to measure this stuff. I feel like I'm not touching plastic is a is the thing to measure. Hmm. Maybe. Right? Probably. It's the only. I don't know. Real solution, like like nano machines that like reconfigure themselves as you're folding. You just like, like what? you just like pull on a vape over there. Like, like, no, like again, like <laughs> our phones, like our phones that are good with with <laughs> hard screens that are scratch resistant are like they're they're like they're like pressurized. They're like bulletproof mm-hmm. or they're like helicopter windshield material. You know, yeah, it's crazy stuff. I don't see how you could possibly get anywhere close to that with something that's flexible. I mean, I think that is, one, the problem to solve. Two, I think that's why you have not seen the Cornings of the world like well, talk Corning about is it. like nonstop, um, like in the in closed doors being like, that's great, but you should you should just wait a little bit. Yeah. Mm. They've been doing that for a long time, but Corning is sort of like around. They're like floating around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing is glass is— They've just got dishes, like corner dishes, <laughs> right. just like well, floating around. When you're making glass, it's flexible. So if you just keep it real hot— That's the Ooh. answer. Yeah. The Apple folding <laughs> iPhone has a button where it just gets real hot in the middle. Beautiful. And that's like Phil Schiller's going to be on stage I mean, like with our proprietary eye heat mechanism. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, I think that's—you've reviewed three of them now. We're figuring out just like what makes them good. Mm-hmm. I think that's like this is one of them, right? This is yeah. just one of the marks to hit. Like, does the screen scratch with your fingernail? You probably shouldn't. That's that's probably the mistake. Like, we're we're validating the form factor, but the technology isn't there. Would would you say right. that's fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. Also, all three of them have broken. Yep. Within uh, like like within the the launch weekend, they have in in ways that are. Um, Every phone probably breaks in that way somewhere in the world when you launch a phone. Um, but with foldables, there's just like it seems like it's a higher percentage because few of them are sold. And it's also like we're paying attention. So mm. uh, a Z Flip cracked somewhere in the world. Uh, it also easily scratched. Uh, inputs, Motorola Razor had like complete screen separation at the hinge. <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. They, they just they all keep breaking. Yeah. And it sounds like neither the or the sorry the the flip or the razor have 
had the sort of a same impression on you as the fold did as like oh this could be this could transform the, my relationship with my phone is that that's exactly right yeah the um the fact that it's smaller and can fit in a pocket is nice. The fact that you can have a big phone that fits in a, a small phone form factor when it's folded, smallish, uh, is nice. Like, but none of it fundamentally like changes your relationship with your phone. Like, I love being able to close the phone and like have it closed on the table. Like, there's something psychological about that. Mm-hmm. But it's nowhere near uh, as big an impact as having a like a candy bar that turns into a tablet. Yeah, secret tablet. Like that. This bonkers. TCL prototype. Oh my god! I don't understand how that works. I don't. I don't either. You, descri- you try to describe it to me, and then I'll try to. Here's my to theory. Here's okay. There's, there's there's two images, right? That's all we've got. This is a leaked TCL prototype. So MWC is canceled. So this is how it's all. <laughs> this happened. is all we've got. Yeah. Yeah. One image shows the phone like a normal phone. The other one shows it pulled out somehow. And so my thinking is that the phone wraps around to the back of the. F- the screen wraps around to the back of the phone, and then when you pull pull it out, it it, it extends, and now it's all on the front. Does that does that make any sense? Like a like a garage door coming coming around. I'm not describing this no, very well. Not at all. Okay, take, I, think it, take, I think it's just three different screens. I think there's the outer screen, no. and then there's a little itty-bitty baby screen, and then you slide the outer screen and the baby screen apart like a dining room table, and that reveals a third screen underneath them. No. <laughs> or maybe it's two screens, and so like the they, they, they sort of one folds in underneath the other, like slides in. Yeah, but, but so that's, it, like that's an S-curve. That's what I thought too, but if you think about yeah. it. Uh, again, this is great radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, pull yeah. over in your car and mm-hmm. hold your hands side by side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And imagine okay. a screen going over the top of both of your hands. Yeah. And then slide one hand under the other. Right. Yep. Right. The that's an S curve. Oh, I'm not seeing that. No, I don't in this think it photo. curves. I think it's I think it's literally just two screens. I, I, I'm saying take. And there's just a. Take, it just slides in. Take your phone, put a piece of paper on top of your phone, and this then wrap it around the phone. And then if you slide that piece of paper across the surface, more of the paper will be revealed. What I worry about is that the scale of our show. There, there are like tens of people right now in their car. With like phones and paper, <laughs> try to just look at the website and look at the picture. Tweet at us how you think this works. Yeah, because none of us have any idea. What's the prize if someone nails it? Well, well, Do they uh, become the CEO of TCL? D- <laughs> Dieter will send them an illegal phone. <laughs> I'm not saying which one it is. I'm not saying it'll be cool. I'm saying Dieter's gonna find an like an illegal uh, flip phone on Verizon and send it to you, like a fake SE. Yeah. All right, Dieter, last, last Z Flip review observation. What's, what's your big takeaway? The little screen on the outside is, is, is just not good. Aww. It's too small. Like, it's, it's fine for showing the time, and that's it. It's a clock. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I'm, I'm telling you. I'm, again, I'm being less charitable than Dieter. If you see a product of this scale, and it just arrives, and it's fancy, and there's a new technology in it, mm-hmm. and they have not given it to reviewers— Mm-hmm. It's probably broken. That's. I'm just gonna keep just keep hammering at that. I want to hear the testimony of a person who is all about looking cool, and they got this phone, and they feel like it upped their game. That's what I want to hear. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying yeah, that's no, for yeah. sure gonna happen, but I'm. I'm it's hopeful. definitely gonna happen. Like I was already a pretty cool person. Got this phone. 
I'm even cooler now. Yeah, and then that person's like, it's on Sprint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they also carry an iPhone. <laughs> like, I could only get the Sprint one. All right, we're taking a break. We're going to come back. Julia Alexander is going to talk about the streaming wars. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Julia Alexander. Hello. Our embedded streaming wars correspondent. <laughs> Back from the front lines. Uh, well, I asked you to come on, you're like, nothing happened. And then I'm looking at our like list of headlines, and a lot of things have happened. Yeah. So I just want to start with this one, because last week we just yelled about T-Mobile and Sprint for like a long time. Yeah. The Sprint-T-Mobile deal is like predicated on one, you believing that John Ledger is the shit. I do. Great. It's also predicated on two. Uh, it's just true. That's like what our nation's judiciary has said. Uh, two, that Dish Network will build a 5G network from scratch using a bunch of spectrum they have. Okay. Uh, sure. Maybe you believe it. Maybe not. This week, I'm looking at Dish Network's earnings, and Dish Chairman Charlie Ergen is like, we're going to have to merge with DirecTV, which I just want to remind everybody is currently owned by AT&T. It's, it's like they're just like personally... Like, he knows I'm looking at it, and he's like, we're going to ruin that guy's day. Uh, just explain to me what is going on. Because it seems like the, the pace of cord cutting is, like, faster than ever. It's yeah. happening. We're watching the, the sort of, like, t the classic TV streaming providers, like the Sling TVs. They're not succeeding. Yeah. It just seems like that's falling apart faster than anybody expected. But what's going on specifically with DirecTV? What is not going on with DirecTV? <laughs> like, I mean, the funny thing, just to add to how 
insane this whole deal is, is that DirecTV uh, and at like basically AT&T's linear networks, lost like 3.1 or 3.2 million paid TV subscribers. And out of all paid TV, there was only like 5 million lost. I mean, so there was a lot of people lost and AT&T was most of it. Wow. Uh, so Dish is like, we're going to merge with them. <laughs> and we're going <laughs> to be fine. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening. I think Dish is kind of realizing that they satellite is people are cutting satellite faster than most other things. They are a dying kind of technology, if you want to use that word, and they have to team up with someone. The question is like why AT&T would want it. They're trying to get they're trying to get rid of their expenses. They have investors breathing down their backs going, these are dumb purchases. Why do you keep doing these things? And Randall Stevenson. Just... Yeah. Neil, he's not their investor. Also yeah. yelling at them. I have, I have no pull with AT&T, <laughs> as history suggests. So I'm also not. So Dish's thought is that they're going to get bought by AT&T. I thought or Dish... that AT&T would slough it off. Yeah. I thought yeah, he yeah. was saying that Dish would be buying DirecTV. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. The way around, I, like it's just it's ridiculous, and I don't understand what they're doing. And the other part of it is Sling TV. Yeah, like, Sling TV is like in my owned opinion, by Dish, owned by Dish, and they just re- recorded their first subscriber losses uh, in a quarter, which has not happened before. And they basically said it's increased competition uh, in the space, and the space is a really interesting one to be in right now because there is increased competition from like YouTube TV and Hulu TV, which saw increases, but like PlayStation View shut down. Uh, yeah, AT and T TV now, which was DirecTV now, lost a bunch of subscribers. So there is competition, but there's also a decline in competition in a lot of ways. So I think we're just getting to a point where people are choosing ecosystems they want to be a part of. So you're in the Hulu ecosystem with Disney. You're in the Google YouTube ecosystem with YouTube TV, uh, and people are just going there. Plus, they're a bit cheaper. Yeah, the thing that um, so I have FiOS. And they have unbundled their TV from their internet, so now you can just like buy. You don't have to buy a triple play or whatever from Fios. You just like buy them all the same. And they're like, "What if you just buy YouTube TV?" Like they're just like openly on the same screen. They're just like promoting YouTube TV instead of their own TV offering, which I think is utterly bizarre for a, a cable company to do. Yeah, but they're they're definitely pushing people towards buy this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, YouTube TV just, uh, well, Google just secured a new deal with Warner Media. So, like, HBO and Cinemax are now going to be on YouTube TV. You can buy YouTube TV, also just became the first official distributor of HBO Max, which is like a cool thing for Warner because that's what they really want to sell. Um, and we know, like, there have been reports that YouTube and specifically Google is interested in expanding the idea of like selling additional TV subscriptions via YouTube TV. Um, it's basically, taking on Amazon, which Amazon does with channels, and Apple, which has probably the kind of best-looking ecosystem. Um, And so it makes sense that YouTube's going to come in and go, listen, we can offer a cheaper price for subscribers. People are signing up. There's reports that in 2019 they had 1 million paid subs. Now by uh, Google CEO Sundar Pichai said now they have more than 2 million. So they're growing at a pace which is impressive. Uh, And so I think what we're seeing a lot of with the the Sling TV stuff, with the AT&T TV Now stuff, is people going, I don't want to pay $65 to be on this this service, or I don't think Sling TV gives me enough, and I can go to YouTube TV, pay a decent price, and get a lot for my money. Yeah. I have not actually even used YouTube TV. Have you used it? Yeah, I use it all the time. Um, I, I'm I'm in the place where I'm, like, subscribing and unsubscribing to it, depending on, like, if I want to watch, you know, the Super Bowl or, like, award shows or, ba- or like, the Democratic debates or whatever. Same. Um, so I, I, I'm, like, hopping on and off. I was just on it until they raised the price, and now I'm, like— 
I'm, I'm constantly subscribing and unsubscribing. I perce- like every couple months. I perceive the YouTube TV as the thing for live television. Yeah. But HBO mm-hmm. and HBO Max aren't. No, you have to add them on. They're add-ons, yeah, but, like what Amazon does with channels. But the, And yeah. then those are just per show. You're just watching shows. Then. Well, you get yeah. both linear and on-demand. So you'll have access to all of the whatever Game of Thrones if you want to go back and watch it. But also, if you're a Succession fan, come Sunday night, you can watch Succession live. Uh, so yeah, it, and YouTube both. TV has like traditional DVR stuff. Right. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't have really on demand though. Uh, so it doesn't really I don't know it, for some reason maybe because I didn't grow up with TiVo the idea of trying to fuss with like here are my shows I'm going to tell you what shows to record and then you'll record them and then I'll watch them before they run out run out and blah 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 blah. I just I I have no patience how, what, for it. Maybe this is a little premature, but how am I going to watch the Olympics? Peacock baby, it's NBC Universal's whole big push. Is that going to be good for no. Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to right here disclose that NBC Universal is an investor in Vox Media, a parent company. It's fine. No, no, my, they don't love me. My best, just ever, putting it out there. my best ever Olympics experience. I just built my own PC and I got a, a like a H like a, a TV tuner capture card oh my for God. my PC, and I just DVR'd. 24-7 Olympics, and I could watch them perf- in, like, Windows Media Center, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, and I've never really reached those heights of <laughs> <laughs> because it's so difficult to well, look, the, uh, the time So I, I currently then... have a TiVo Edge review unit. Okay. It's a $1,000 TiVo uh, with six <laughs> tuners. I, I don't it love can, track and field that much. It can, it can do anything. Uh and I have not yet recorded. It's it's automatically just recording stuff mm-hmm. because, like, all things, it's an algorithm. It's just like, I'm doing stuff for you. <laughs> and I've never watched one thing off its TBR. We watch it. We, we're using it for live TV. I recorded a lot of uh, Young and the Restless back in college. There you go. Yeah, it was my. But the thing, about, the thing that Dieter's saying, which is also what I do, um, or in the case of, like, any awards, like the Grammys was on CBS All Access. So you sign up for CBS All Access for seven days, and then you unsubscribe. The other thing that, like, who, like, companies are realizing this. Hulu had a really great blog post for Hulu TV that was like, we know you're not going to be here all year round. <laughs> you should just leave and come back when you really want to be here. And I think it's, like, a brilliant marketing move, which is just they understand how people are using it. It's, it's so easy to just cancel and then go back, cancel and go back. That leaning into that um, and then... Disney figuring out bundling options going down the line with like the Hulu TV aspect is like where they really succeed because they're like, we get it. Yeah. You have other places to go. You know, it's funny. Um, if you pay for something mm. and then you, you you don't pay for it anymore and you pay for it again, you actually have not subscribed to anything. <laughs> You're just buying a thing. <laughs> like it's, it's bizarre that the mechanic is like, I will now just like buy this like virtual DVD of the award show. Well, our like my poor editor, Jake, uh, who's one of the best editors of The Verge, he has to listen to me every award show complain about subscribing to some network when <laughs> I can just be like the, the, the it's wild that it's not on YouTube. And they're not charging like five dollars a night. Yeah. Like, yeah, here's That's the thing. I can just pay thing. for the thing like I a, want. Like a like a uh, boxing match. That's yeah, a, TV. Yeah. Like a pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. So all this comes back around to the thing I'm constantly thinking about, which is eventually it gets even more unbundled. Mm. So the thing that has already happened is instead of subscribing to Fios TV, I'm going to subscribe to Disney Plus and maybe YouTube TV to pick up all this live stuff and Apple TV. And suddenly I'm just paying as much as I was paying for cable. Right. And you keep unbundling, and now it's like per show I will spend five dollars, and like I'm definitely going to spend more than cable. Right. Where does the sort of like the value come back around? There's only a few that are going to be kind of your staples, right? Netflix will remain a staple. 
for at least a few more years because Netflix has a lot and they produce a lot. I think it took for Disney Plus to come out for people to realize how much Netflix puts out because they were like, oh, so The Mandalorian's done. And now I have nothing to watch unless you yeah. have kids. And you're know, like, your kid's watching Finding Nemo every night. Yes, uh, this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's also clear to me that I'm paying way more for Finding Nemo over the course of a year <laughs> than if I just purchased Finding Nemo. <laughs> Finding Nemo is $20 uh, on like any streaming, uh, on any traditional movie platform. I'm just $12 a month for like... Two minutes of the movie. Here's the thing that I run into with uh, my friends, though. We This came up a lot. We had it, screener season happened, so you, studios sent out screeners for consideration. And everyone I talked to was like, I don't own a DVD or a Blu-ray player. How am I yeah. going to play this? Don't they have, like, Xboxes and PlayStations? I bought my PlayStation. Well, I didn't buy it. My brother bought me a PlayStation, <laughs> and that's why I use that for But I only use it for Netflix and Disney and HBO. Like, I don't use it for anything else. Yeah. Um, and I, ne- I haven't bought a DVD, and I used to work at, like, a record store where we sold DVDs. I haven't bought a DVD in years. I think what it comes down to is like the more that people unbundle, they're just going to go back and forth. Every analyst I talk to is like, you're just going to go back and forth and you'll have one or two that you keep. Most people right now will keep Netflix and Disney Plus because the Disney Plus offerings are pretty good. And they're if you have kids, especially um, and Netflix is just a staple. The more expensive ones, HBO Max is going to be $15 a month and you're going to get a lot out of it. But really, like, are you spending $15 a month for friends? Like, and the Matrix, I don't know. You don't really need it, especially when you can open up a Google Doc or Google Drive and watch a bunch of this stuff online. Wow. <laughs> oh, dude. Like, like, wow. Okay, so I, I've conditioned. Deep window into Julia's content consumption I've habits. conditioned my TikTok algorithm to tell me about how to cheat at school yeah. and how to steal movies. Me too. Like, there are, there are like, <laughs> there are like 20, there's like 20 different websites where you just, like, it, it, it's always presented as a cool secret tip, and and you, you go to this website. It's just like a regular domain name. You go to that website, and you can watch all anime that's ever been made for free. Yeah, it's uh, countryroll.com. You're supposed to pay them for it. It's like it's like pop- no, it's probably like not, no, <laughs> no, not that no, one. It's not like, the legit it's one. It's like Popcorn Time or or or, oh, or like time. Netflix, but. It's just it's just in the web browser. It just works. I like that we did and the first 40 minutes of the show on Dieter stealing a phone, and now we're like, here's how to steal movies. <laughs> I did not steal anything. I paid a lot of money for it. Nah. Has anybody <laughs> talked to Google about this Google Drive thing? Because that is another – it's a very hot tip on TikTok. Yeah, I know. Russell wanted us to blog about it, and I was like, I'm not going to narc uh, <laughs> on the team. That's how I feel about all of our Plex coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I'm like, we should do a story about the reality of Plex. Everyone's like, shh, <laughs> Well, like the best app I ever got pitched on, and I never wrote about it because I think I forgot about it. But the best app I got pitched on was this idea that you – it's basically like Nintendo's family sharing plan, and you all you, – you pick like seven friends, and each of your friends chooses something to subscribe to and then they like share that account and it's like who shares what who owns what how many passwords you get onto this who's streaming it right now and I was like it's a great idea I feel for like that app. would also like just improve the bonds of your friendship that sort of collaboration that's like a team there's building there's an entire exercise. why'd you push that episode why'd you push that button episode about this about password sharing and Same. then like people oh, yeah. break up oh that's true it's, that it's, good it's very good this is a question that the executives get asked probably the most aside from like how fast are you scaling uh, it's do you worry about password sharing and for the most part they've been like it's going to be an issue in about two years but we're not worried about it right now um, if you're Disney and Netflix you're like I don't give a crap really well, like, so, I, <laughs> so I think that's related to like this moment in the market that we're seeing the, the thing that we started talking about which is the what, what, what do you call the YouTube TVs of the world virtual they're uh, virtual MVPDs? VMPBDs yeah, yeah oh like my that. god what? it's not a great name <laughs> 
What does that even stand for? Virtual multi video platform distributor. Yeah. So here's a, like a problem you had in the old in the old days when uh, Dish and DirecTV were vibrant companies in the future, <laughs> uh, was you couldn't just call them cable companies because uh, you had the two satellites. Yeah. So they made up right. a new acronym, MVPDs, Multiple Video Platform so Distributor. You, just to be Ugh. clear, what you're talking about are things that have like channels yeah. and not just on-demand episodes. Right, but there's a difference between the uh, MPBDs and then the VMPBDs, which is uh, like the virtual. So that's the YouTube TV, the Hulu TV, the AT&T TV now. If you can come up with a better word for this, please just let us know. And what about, what about <laughs> like a hyper-virtual Yeah, MPBD. where you run YouTube TV inside of YouTube TV. Yeah. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I got it. Uh, anyway, so we're, we're seeing a lot of those enter the market. Now they're consolidating. That's a pretty normal course of, right? A bunch of new services enter. They see an opportunity. Some of them succeed, some of them don't. They consolidate. You're seeing that churn, but you're not worried about password churn yet because you're trying to get share. You're just trying to get people to get your app. You're yeah, it's trying to scale. Right? So you just need whatever. Share it. Yeah. Like, give everybody the password to your YouTube TV account because then they'll get the app. And then the day that we're like, we've destroyed all of our competition and we're the we're the one of the two or three big players. We'll start enforcing the password sharing rules, and then we'll we'll make the right. money. I, that's exactly. It. I mean, I talked to this lawyer who represents a lot of the big companies, and the word he kept using, he's like a very excited lawyer. <laughs> he kept, like he just kept going consolidation, consolidation, <laughs> and I was like, you represent very big corporations. Um, but this is the thing where he's just like, we're they're just waiting it out, like Disney's waiting it out, like they're like, we know that we're fine. They've also, I mean, the big thing I wrote about this today, the big thing that. It's funny, you know, CBS had an investor's call today, and, and there have been a few other investor's calls in recent weeks. And they're, when it comes to international, NBC Universal, Warner Media, and CBS are like, yeah, we're thinking about it. Like, we're, we're, we're definitely in that game, and we're considering it. But then on the other end of it, you have Amazon, Netflix, and Disney. And they're like, no, no, we don't care about the U.S. <laughs> like, we want uh, India and Brazil and Mexico and Germany and Japan. Like, those are the, the ones we want, um, which is why Netflix is investing billions and, you know, in, in different regions. And I was talking to someone today, and he went, if you're not already there, you're not going to compete with Amazon in two years because Amazon's going to control everything and you're not going to compete with local streaming services. Like Netflix is trying to break into India and they're spending half a billion dollars this year to do so. And they're still like the fourth most watched service. And the number one most watched streaming service is called Hotstar and Disney bought them. They were just like, yeah, we'll just take it. Like, it just, we can't compete with it. We'll, we'll just buy you, which is like the Google move, right? It's like yeah. the very, I'm just going to buy what I can't have or I, what I can't make. Like, I have a successful product in the United States, and now I'm going to take over the world with it. Has not always worked. Like, that didn't work out for the rideshare companies necessarily, right? It didn't work out for Groupon. Yeah. I mean, I think the those are all companies that move atoms, not bits, right? I, we're a big, successful software company, and we're just going to, like, find a new market that we can address with like not necessarily zero marginal cost, but pretty low marginal cost. That well, actors, actors are atoms. I mean, I'm <laughs> guessing in India, they, they do have to produce <laughs> new things, right? Actors to, are atoms. <laughs> you're made of stuff, right? Great <laughs> <laughs> way to describe Hollywood. <laughs> you're just a collection of molecules, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. But like the movies that you distribute and the software to distribute those movies, like you can just spin it up in a new place. Whereas like Uber was like, now we have to find another million Toyota Camrys and people to drive them. 
which right. is a much but harder. But Netflix has to find a million new shows in India to produce, right? Which they are going to. I mean, they're going to. The biggest issue that Netflix faces is like Netflix is a general entertainment company, which is fine, uh, except that what they're competing against are people who carry sports. Uh, and this is more of an issue international than it is here because the internationally bundle more often entertainment and sports uh, for a cheaper price versus here. If you want to get entertainment and sports, you're paying like, yeah, $55, $50 for YouTube TV or whatever. Um, and even then you're like still blocked out by like regional sports issues. So it's a whole complicated mess. Uh, but <clears throat> internationally, if they're spending and they're working with local talent and they can penetrate a market that is like mobile focused by offering really cheap mobile plans, which is what they're doing, they'll probably grow. They're not growing as fast as they want. And like Reed Hastings, who's the CEO of Netflix, has addressed this, but they are growing. They just kind of released um, they released their 10K and they were and they kind of looked over a bunch of the stuff. And they're like, no, we're fine. Like we're spending a lot. But. We do have proof uh, that we're doing well. Investors were fine. Uh, A bunch of analysts just raised. They just hit a 52-week high on like their stock surge. So like they're fine. The advantage Disney has, which they know and they kind of walk around like they know, is that they're Disney and they're like, no one has Star Wars. (laughs) Like no one has Marvel. Uh, It doesn't matter where we launch. People are going to come to us because Disney is worldwide. But your point about Disney Plus not having quite enough stuff after that initial rush is very true. Are they going to start flooding the the app with new content the way that Netflix does? Yeah, I mean they've addressed that. So I I the one thing I keep yelling about to like <laughs> my my mom because <laughs> she'll be like Disney Plus is kind of boring and I'm like listen. <laughs> you That's why you're here. You understand Bob's brilliant. An audience of dozens <laughs> to talk to right now. No, I mean so they they know they have to put out more stuff. That's why they spent a lot of time on their investors call saying like yes, we have Two Marvel shows, Mandalorian, and something else. I can't remember. Another big show coming out at the end of the year. Um, but Disney Plus is not Netflix, and they're not going to be Netflix. They're not trying to be Netflix. Disney, the best way to think of their output is HBO. Not that in terms of content by any means, but HBO usually has one to two big shows a, a quarter. Like they have one or two, and they just kind of overlap eventually. That's what Disney's going to end up doing. Disney is like undergoing changes right now on the plus side where they're just basically, from my understanding, going to give slots to the studio heads and basically be like Kevin Feige, who's at Marvel, you get three slots. Kathleen Kennedy at Star Wars, you get two slots. And throughout the year, they'll have new shows that come in. uh, And they'll just kind of overlap each other beautifully if it works out for them uh, in the way that HBO does. Like HBO went from being like, they had a good year. It was like Game of Thrones, Euphoria, Succession. So you just didn't cancel for nine months. And we're like, yeah, like, like there's enough here that I will keep subscribing. I like the idea that they've literally shipped their org chart in this app. Yeah. And that like each one of those boxes is like a powerful sub CEO inside of Disney. I have this. And then the Nat Geo person who's like, Elvin <laughs> documentary. What's up? That we stole from Apple. <laughs> here's, here's my time. Uh, I have this org chart like hand drawn in a notebook. It's yeah. So I mean like they figured it out in the way that like their heads of stu- their studio heads tend to be visionaries. Uh, Lucasfilm is going through changes. <laughs> Lucasfilm hasn't had a good time, but uh, you know, like Bob's big son, Kevin Feige, like is wow, that's what he is. Wow. Uh, is like producing enough that they're pretty confident. By the way, Bob is Bob Iger. This is the third time you've referred to Bob without <laughs> saying his last name. My or personal who he friend. Is. <laughs> Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney and the most powerful man in entertainment, or as we know him, Bob. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Too many Bobs in uh, show business these days. Yeah. 
But so you're saying Feige is like he's he's right. winning in that zone, right? Yeah, he's figured out. And I mean, they're going to loop in their shows into their movies pretty heavily. So they're going to go like, okay, there's a scene that happens in Doctor Strange, and to really understand it, you have to watch Wandavision, right? Like that's their whole p- play, which. By the way, is the same thing that Marvel Comics tried to do in the '90s and nearly bankrupted. Well, what, <laughs> yeah. what is what's so different about this and then the Marvel TV shows on Netflix? Not so long ago. Well, th- so this is—I mean, this gets into like petty drama that I could write a book about. But uh, Jeff Loeb, who headed up Marvel Entertainment, so they like separated Kevin Feige, who was doing really well, from like people who weren't doing super well. So Jeff Loeb got TV, Marvel TV. Uh, and they were fine with it because they didn't care. Netflix was paying them a lot of money. So they're like, you do what you want. We don't care. They're not part of our cinematic universe. Then they were like, we're going to do Disney+. Plus. This really matters to us. We're quality, not quantity. So they were like, can't deal with the guy who makes really bad TV shows. Mm-hmm. We're going to launch this new Marvel enter- uh, TV entertainment landscape that rolls into Marvel Studios. Therefore, Kevin oversees it. Does that mean that the Netflix shows are non-canonical? Yeah. I mean, like... You could, you could argue that I mean, they tried to wow, do this. I feel so betrayed. You just broke Julia. <laughs> like, it's all over right now. I watched like, I watched like two episodes. Yeah, of- episode four of The Punisher. The Punisher takes a long walk, <laughs> uh, stares at the ground a while, says, ah, I've punished too many people, uh, has a nap. No more punishing <laughs> for me. I, these shows are so bad. I think the rule should be if it's good, it's canon, and if it's bad, it's not. That should be the whole rule. That's, yeah. That's, I like that. No, it's fine. I mean, it's like, it's part, yeah. b- bringing back to the business side of things, it's like, that's their whole goal, is to eventually, you're just going to be like, I'm so entrapped in this Disney <laughs> universe, <laughs> that like, it's just going to be a whole thing. But I mean, that, they're not going to do that as much. I think it's just going to be more of like, we want people to keep Pay up. us money. We want people to <laughs> keep their Disney Plus subscriptions, <laughs> and we know that if we tease enough of this... That they will return. It's what they did with agents with with network TV. Like this post Super Bowl thing used to be like, uh, if you know, like let's say it's an ABC moment. They're like, Agents of Shield's going to tie into this new Avengers movie. Catch it after the Super Bowl, and then mm. it like it increased ratings. Then ABC could send up an icy mail that was like, our ratings hit a high. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> so deeply cynical, and I, I love it very. I get much. ratings emails every day, and I'm like, oh, good for you, CBS. <laughs> like, well, so let's talk about CBS. They, oh, right. They, your headline was at an early lead. They blew it. They're going to restart their streaming service. Yeah, they didn't do well. Is it going to be called the eye? No. So this is the greatest oh thing in the world. I, I literally have not been able to stop talking about this all day. They were calling this House of Brands. <laughs> what? No. No. Literally, they keep referring to this as House of Brands. And Wait, then that's uh, actually the name of the streaming service. I have no idea. That's House like, of Brands sounds like a discount <laughs> mall where you buy cheap cigarettes. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. And on the investors' call, they kept being like. MTV, that's a brand. And I was like, <laughs> not in 2020. <laughs> like, wow. But yeah, so, they, they launched, so basically the TLDR is that uh, when Viacom and CBS split up, once they got divorced in 2006, everyone was very sad. And by everyone, I mean me. <laughs> uh, CBS lost a lot of like content. And when they, so fast forward to 2014, CBS like, this streaming thing seems to be where people are headed. You know, Netflix is doing okay. Uh, so we're going to launch CBS All Access, which I believe officially launched in 2015. At the time, they didn't really have any competitors besides Netflix and Hulu. Like, th- that was basically it. But th- they had a really janky service. Like, the service was terrible. You couldn't even use it. I remember when their first Star Trek show came out, people were like, I can't watch the show. Um, the offerings of, like, the library catalog, for some reason, weren't very good. Uh, and it just wasn't, like, ins- there was there was really no incentive to do it. And so... 
CBS All Access kind of was like, eh. I have a I have a source that estimates they're probably at about five and a half million subscribers total right now. Wow, which after is, five years. After five years, which yeah. is like uh, close to six, which is like an insane low number. Fast forward to last year, CBS and Viacom fall back in love, they get married. I mean, just to be clear, that was like <laughs> a, a year-long, <laughs> literally a succession drama. There was personal drama. There was like rumors the CEO was in secret envelope. Like, it was nuts, but they're back together now. They're back. Listen, there was a wedding. <laughs> they're, they're back together. Uh, and they're like, streaming, really taking off. We have to do more about this. So we're going to rebrand All Access with the Viacom brands. So this is uh, Nickelodeon, it's Comedy Central, uh, MTV, all these kind of BET, um, all of which have their own streaming services, by the way, <laughs> like their own individual <laughs> streaming services That's great. that you can get via Amazon channels. And yeah, so they're like, we have to rebrand this because this is our new big thing. So they're offering, from what we understand, a new version of the service. Called House of Brands. God, I hope so. Called House of Brands is how they're referring to it right now. Um, that is also going to somehow include sports and news in like a weird premium tier. If I sound confused, it's because every source and analyst I spoke to this morning, I asked them if they understood it and they said, nope. <laughs> and they're like, I have no idea what CBS just announced. So CBS, when CBS and Viacom were split, yeah. they were owned by the Redstones. Yeah. The actual holding company was called National Amusements, yeah. <laughs> which is great because it started as a movie theater chain. Oh. Shouldn't they call the streaming service National Amusements? They're the, call- their House of Brands? They're calling it House of Brands, which uh. is close to House of Mouse, <laughs> which is Disney's whole wow. thing. Brought it all the way back home, Julia. This is what I do. The uh, streaming wars. <laughs> the Disney wars. No, but like this is their whole thing. There's no pricing for it. They're going to soft launch it this year. Uh, no idea. This is the best part. So when you think of streaming stuff, you think of ex- exclusivity, right? We're just talking about how Disney's playing their game. Uh, Netflix originals are exclusives, all these types of things. CBS, not doing this. CBS is like, it costs a lot of money to run a streaming service. We're going to make these huge deals. We're going to license. So uh, South Park, one of their biggest shows on Comedy Central, HBO Max exclusive. SpongeBob, Netflix is getting a spinoff, and they're going to get a bunch of shows. And the way that the, they're thinking of streaming Bob Backish, their CEO, another Bob, uh, <laughs> he he's referring to these as rentals. He's like, we rent them out, uh, we get the IP back, and if they do really well, hopefully people come back to the CBS, which is not going to happen. Like that's like we wow. know for a fact that doesn't happen. People just stay on the service; they find something else. This has been Netflix's whole thing. Like we still have other shows; people have stayed around. Um, so their whole goal is to bring people in with their content but then license a lot of that content out in order to pay for things. I'm very excited about this. I do. I just like this idea that they are actually trying to uh, make money. (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of these are like, we will crush our competition by spending $700 billion. They're they're monopoly plays. And we'll make it up on the back end. CBS is like, let's be profitable. Yeah. (laughs) It's a weird moment. I mean, like, it's bizarre that that's the riskier strategy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, every actually, so like everybody I spoke to, uh, a lot of who consult with these companies are like, the issue with CBS is that they have never been able to take the risk. Like, they've never actually said, yeah, we're all in. If you compare it to like what other people have said, and I think about this just because it's a recent podcast I was listening to, I was listening to um, Iger on, on Bill Simmons, and he was talking about ESPN. 
And he's like, ESPN is like fine. They're like doing fine. We're really happy with it. But ESPN Plus is where we're going to, you know, put a lot of stuff. We're going to figure out rights issues. We're going to figure out international stuff. We're going to really bring ESPN Plus up because people are cutting the cord. And Adam Silver, who's the NBA commissioner, just talked about that, I believe, this week where he was like, the NBA, every league is like losing viewers because people are just not subscribing or they're doing what Dieter does, right? There's like a Super Bowl. And he's like, I'm just going to subscribe to YouTube TV or whatever for the night uh, and then watch it this way. Um, so they're trying to figure out ways to bring sports to cord cutters. But it's this it's the weirdest place to be in because of the regional rights. And so they can't offer every game the way that, you know, Disney can go. We're going to give you every movie. YouTube can't go or CBS can't go. We're going to give you every basketball game. Because it's like, well, you're going to be blocked out in certain markets. That's just how it works. But Google Drive always comes through. Google Drive always comes <laughs> through. <laughs> we got we to end it here. We've taken up too much of Julia's time. Thank you very much. We will have Julia, our Streaming Wars correspondent, report from the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> Regularity. Thanks a lot. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Paul Miller, mm-hmm. in our time of need. That's right. The stability that we need. Yeah. That's a call. There's a segment I do every week, and it's called Top 10 LCD Betrayals. Ooh. <laughs> um, this, this is very relevant to my interests. <laughs> okay. Well, see, that's what you think. And that's what I always would think. Okay, so Tiger is coming back with these, these mm. LCD and I put LCD in quotes because that's what bugs me about it. So they're handheld games, right? They have controls. They've got a little screen. They look a little bit like a Game Boy Advance. It's hard to describe, but I'm sure everybody's experienced this in, in their life, right? It's LCD technology in the sense that there's liquid crystal displays. But it's not LCD in the sense that there is a a... a grid of pixels like a Game Boy has, you know? And so these right. games are always stupid, and I hated them. <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, when I was a kid, I was pretty tech-aware. Like, I would go to the library and read all the computer magazines. So I knew what an LCD was. So when I go to Toys R Us and I see an LCD handheld, and I and then I discover that there's, like, basically your character in the game has, like, three different positions, you know, it's just like... Anyways, Tiger's coming back with the, uh, the, uh, the, the remaking these. Like, there's a Sonic game, X-Men, Transformers. So they've got all the big IP. But the games are trash. And I feel like it just <laughs> – I feel like it um, – I mean, it bugs me. Even, like, you know, the Game & Watch guy, that's a similar concept. Yeah. I don't even like seeing him in Smash. 
because I just think about these fake, uh, these real LCDs that are just not, it's just not a grid of pixels. It's not good enough. You are super wrong about all of these. (laughs) 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 And I only say that because I'm old enough that I had some of these games and I had the, there was one that was a no-name game that was like the Olympics and you were like running on hurdles and it had three flat buttons and instead of just punching them, you would like run your fingernails over them to go really, really fast. Okay. And I like, wore that thing out. Yeah, you're right. These games are trash. But yeah. like, the, the the these liquid crystals were like in American homes before like LCD displays as you know and love them now. Uh, so like there's a little bit of nostalgia that's worthwhile. It's been like a nostalgia week because they also um, brought back Super Soakers. They like remade the original yeah. Super Soakers. They're way worse than the originals in terms really? of like they don't – well, I mean they're way better. They're safer I'm sure in various ways. And <laughs> How are the originals dangerous? If you – the the pump on the originals, you could like lose like the tip of your pinky finger if you were doing it wrong. Like they, there was like not a whole lot of clearance there. Mm. I had a Super Soaker 100. I don't recall. I remember we were like – di- we dyed pinkies. the water so that you'd score people that look like blood. All right. This podcast is completely off the road. Android 11 is happening. <laughs> All right. Well, should we talk about Apple first or Android first? Uh, there's maybe more for Android. We could do – actually, no, that's that's not true. We can, we can knock Android out. Android 11, they released the developer preview earlier than ever. You can't just go install it like a beta. You got to flash it. And it's mostly developer-facing stuff. Uh, but the stuff that is facing uh, real humans is uh, uh, chat heads, bubbles, are making a grand comeback. Uh, there's this like conversation section, which I actually initially got wrong in my announcement post, where they're basically taking a whole bunch of like all of your chats and they're putting them in a separate area notifications. They might actually finally do real screen recording natively, thank God. And they also are going to have better sort of app security and permissions. And the big one is scoped storage, which means that just like on the iPhone, um, Android apps aren't going to be able to just look at whatever they want on on your storage. (laughs) Uh, They'll only be able to look at their special section unless they get special permission to look at, like, generalized storage. So in the same way that, like, I don't know, on the iPhone, like, I need permission to look at this, and the more Android apps will have to do that. In the same way that macOS Catalina is constantly asking you if it's allowed to look at the desktop. That's coming for Android. There you go. Um, Anyway, a bunch of developers are going to have to like contend with that, and uh, Google's finally just stopping saying "pretty please" update your apps to support this stuff. They're just making them do it because security, I guess. Because some of the um, the scope yeah. storage stuff was already in Android 10, right? It was in Android 10, but it was in Android 10 is like, hey, we're think, we, we think we think we're to do this, and a whole bunch of Android developers went, oh, no, do, uh, and they're like, okay, okay, well, we'll we'll do it next year, but like, please, please look at this, and now they're like, yo, we're. We're, we're doing this. Wait, are they doing this through the Play Store? You can't issue an update if you don't support this thing? Because they can't. So it's, it's, this it's gets into like the wildly complicated territory of the difference between um, a version of Android, a, the uh, API version of Android, and which API version your app targets. In addition to all of that, there is a new complication in Android 11 where you can target the newest and latest API. If you want to use the newest stuff, you need to target that level of API. Like if you want to use the cool new thing in API 27, you have to follow API 27's rules, right? But sometimes like there's like features in it that are annoying or like whatever. And so now they're letting you like dynamically opt in stuff in weird ways. You can like opt in or opt out of certain parts of the API. It's just um, it's radically complicated is what I'm getting at. Well, I'm just saying, Apple puts out a new version of iOS. 
Yes, and, they and then say, everyone has to hop to and do what, because, what Apple says. Because Apple, because, yep. you know, they'll just put it across the entire install base very quickly. Yep. Or if you want to target the newest and greatest phone, which is where probably the spendiest customers are, yep. they'll have it. Whatever. you got to follow the rules. Yep. Android has, like, well, Google broadly has Android. It's wildly complicated API situation. Mm-hmm. It has Play Store approval process, which is another lever it can pull. Yep. Right, and then it has Play Services on the phone, which is like yet a third sort of. And it also has um, ads. Uh, If you want to use ads on your app, the Google runs one of the bigger ad networks, and they have different rules there as well, uh, including it especially for um, apps that are like for kids. Uh, they now have the Google Play subscription thing, which uh, is another layer of approval. but the biggest complication of all that's more important than any of this is the vast majority of Android phones are a couple of years old. You know, they don't have the latest and greatest operating system. And so there's literally no incentive for developers to, like, update to do things like get rid of the side drawer that interferes with the back button of the Pixel because, you know, half of a percent of users have this stuff. And so if it doesn't bother 99.5% of your users, like— Where's the incentive to like put the effort in to update it? I'm not calling Android developers lazy. I'm saying that they're following the incentives that the ecosystem offers them. You know, like you, they, they're putting their time into other things that give bring them more return. Sure. And so Google has to do things that like change the incentive structure, and one of those changes is like making scope storage a requirement, uh, which is like. Well, okay. Now, if I now if I don't do it, my app will break, and that's they're doing that in part because it's like a, it's a privacy and security issue. Yeah, but where is it a requirement? Like, I guess where in that stack of things where they can issue requirements is it a requirement? That is, uh, there's like it's the API level if you want to target and you want to be and if you want your app to work, I believe on Android 11. Okay. And I think the the game there is still the newest phones will run Android 11. If you want to run on the newest phones, you got to work with it, right? Right. Yep. And then if you, but you can you can target the API and have it still work on like older versions of the OS in some cases. So wildly complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else with Android 11? Um, I mean, that's the big stuff, the big consumer facing stuff. There's a you know you could go and look at like Android Police and uh, Nine to Five Google, and they had just a blast of a day just finding all of the features that weren't technically announced, or at least a bunch of the features that weren't technically announced. So some of my favorites are um, scrolling screenshots finally coming back, uh, airplane mode not turning off Bluetooth, which is not you know it's <laughs> been that's been fine on iOS for a while, but they're doing it here. Um, how do you how do you ship phones without headphone jacks and not have this? <laughs> um, uh, they are going to let you maybe pin uh, apps to the share sheet, uh, which is interesting because the share sheet has always been a, a disaster on Android. Uh, it's just always been bad. They tried to like do a bunch of stuff with like machine learning on it. It slowed it down, and then they like tried to roll that back. And so you're, they're just like, screw it. You can just like put the apps you want there on your own. The story um, of machine learning. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we, we try to guess what you want, but it turns out you already know. <laughs> and then they are uh, updating the Bluetooth stack uh, for controlling Bluetooth devices to uh, a new thing that has the code name uh, Gabaldorsha. Just tell, tell the Gabaldorsha tell the story. story. Gabaldorsha. Gabaldorsha is um, the uh, <laughs> son of uh, Swain Fork. His, his name is uh, Swain Forkbeard. And, uh, you know, that's the, the son of King Harold, which is uh, the Bluetooth, where Bluetooth comes from. So it's like the successor to Bluetooth. They should have called it Forkbeard. Yeah. I don't get where Gabal. Oh, Gabaldorsh is the 
is the word for yeah. Forkbeard. His yes. dad, King Harold, got the nickname Bluetooth. Right. Yeah. King Forkbeard got the nickname Gabaldorsha, <laughs> and he did not become a tech standard. <laughs> So, okay. so tech, the the blue, Bluetooth is going to be way better now. Yeah, Bluetooth this will be year. better next year. This, <laughs> this, sounds, <laughs> this sounds like a lot. This, this sounds like they're doing a lot. They're doing a lot, uh, and like, this is not the main consumer facing stuff because they always wait for Google I/O for that. But this is like the stuff that we've been able to like glean. Yeah, and it by seems we, like, I mean it, Android Police and Nine to Five Google. <laughs> yeah, and XDA developers. Uh, it seems like a lot of stuff is holdover from Ten that they just push back. There's a bunch of holdover from 10. So, like, uh, we uh, screen reporting recording was in early 10 betas, and then it didn't arrive. Uh, these bubbles, same sort of thing. Like, they're, like, there, but nobody used them. And uh, the sto- scope storage. And then the other holdover from 10 is in 10, they introduced uh, permission changes for location where you could, instead of having it be all or nothing, you could do while using the app. Now they're continuing to, like, chase what the iPhone does, and you can grant, like, a one-time permission for location. Uh, just once, and they're also extending that to, I think, like cameras and microphones. And then on top of all of that, if an app just keeps asking you every time you open it for location permission and you keep saying no, eventually Android will, like, figure that out and they will block the app from asking you. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. See, that's interesting. I have a lot of apps that ask me every time for some permission. And there's an option that you can say never ask again. But I don't want to click that because there might be a time when I do want to. This is like a, a user interface design, like classic problem. Yeah, I don't know how that how I would recover that situation yeah. were I to want to. Um, whenever I screenshot these things and like say the dialogue text is bad or misleading, mm. like a bunch of product managers and designers will tweet back at me and be like, "We actually can't change it to the thing you want." Because then users will not push it because they think they can't recover, mm. right? So if if the answer is just no, people are like afraid of that no. They're like, what if I want it in the future? Yeah, yeah. So it's all it's that's why it's always some like wacky text that's like, I forbid you this time, but please gently ask me again. It's always like something like that, right? I like, think I think on Android it's deny or deny and don't ask again. Or I guess there's probably a confirmer. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I, would I wish the only options were deny and deny, deny, but let me recover. Um, but that's the thing. People talk about it all the time. But if you if you just show the hard no, people won't actually choose it. Yeah, which I think is interesting. I mean, broadly, it just seems like Google's big problem here. I mean, this is your column. Is how are they how are they going to get? I mean, this is the Android problem. Like we're we're many many versions in Android, and the problem yeah. is still how do you move the ecosystem to the new stuff? Right. And I, you know, they're trying. The thing they're doing now is they're they have nicer tools, which is sometimes an incentive. So Kotlin is a great programming language that's modern and it's sort of in this of the same generation as like Swift, uh, and so that's great. People love that. Uh, they uh, so they're, they've got that. They've got this new thing they call Jetpack, which is like instead of having fifty ways to do a thing that you want to do on Android, there's like a way, and, it, and so you can just follow those standards. So they're improving the ease of coding Android apps. But uh, you know, when they tried to get people to update their apps for Chrome OS so that you could have Windows that could change size or tablets before that, you know, it didn't didn't go super well because again, there's no incentive because how many people actually are you serving by putting all that work in? So at some point, they just have to be like, no, these are the rules. And that's what they're doing a little bit now with, with uh, Android 11. Yeah. 
Do you want to talk about this uh, Verizon Pixel drama for, for five seconds? Android Police uh, published a story that said that Verizon wasn't going to carry the Pixel 4a or 5, and uh, then they had to retract it because Verizon said, no, we're, we, we continue to have a good relationship with Google. Yeah. No, it's fine. We're fully committed yeah. to Google in 2020, is what Verizon but said. The fire drill. The reason it felt like such a big story uh, is legitimate, and that is that no one really believes the Pixel sells well. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we're on the Pixel 5 when Rick Osterloh came and, you know, took over the hardware division at Google and, like, consolidated everything. And I, I talked to him. We all talked to Sundar. And, like, number one question was, when are you going to get serious? What's your, what's your time horizon? And they gave the answer that all tech people give when they don't really know. They said, oh, like, five years. In five years, we want this to be big. And, like, we're, we're coming up. It's time. And the Pixel is, you know, I'm, I'm holding a, a Galaxy S20 Ultra in my hand. Um, and it's, what, six months newer than the Pixel, give or take. Um, and it feels three months or three years ahead, you know, like maybe two years ahead. It's the, the hardware quality in the Pixel. Um, it's always been like it's had its charm. <laughs> and I actually am often charmed by the, the sort of aesthetic of the Pixel. I do actually like it. But fundamentally, they're just like they are not keeping up with the flagships and Google needs to either do that or admit that they're not gonna and uh, pursue a different strategy um, in the way that they did like in some of the some of the Nexus years where they were like, yeah, yeah, Samsung makes the expensive stuff. We make the stuff for everybody that is got pure Google software. They should if they just did that with the Pixel and they just dropped the prices across the board by like, you know, $250, I think it'd be great. But yeah. They're not doing that. If they were just like the Pixel 4a is the Pixel. Yeah. Yeah. Pixel 4 has a headphone jack. A bigger battery. What we think it has a headphone jack. Yeah. Bigger battery and a headphone jack. That's not all anybody ever wanted. It's just putting it they out always, there. They always put headphone jacks on the lower end phones. Samsung does it too with like the, the one of the light phones that they just introduced at CES. Because aux cords I'm trading are, down, are for baby. poor people. What am I going to do with all this extra cash? I'm going to buy a bunch of wired headphones. Let's talk about this Apple thing for one second because it's not a lot. There's no news yet. But Mark Gurman, Bloomberg reports... Apple considers allowing apps like Chrome and Gmail to be set as iOS defaults. <sighs> Why are they imagine? doing this? Because of antitrust enforcement. You think so? I know it. I know it in my heart. Why do you think that? Uh, well, they're getting they're getting sued in Europe. Uh, there's a bunch of saber rattling in the United States, right? There's like the FTC and DOJ have divvied up the tech companies. There was just a hearing where we're tiled in Sonos, right? We're in front of Congress talking about it. Uh, that committee is going to issue its its regulations in May. Tile was very unhappy about default app settings. Like if if they're now talking about it, they were so religious about it, right? We cannot let you set mail. We cannot let you set another app as the default mail experience on the iPhone because mail is integrated in the operating system. It's a core capability. When you talk to them about the browser, it's even more – it's like it is deeply baked into their ethos of the operating system. You you guys all know my, my feelings on antitrust, but I really feel like as a company, you would just like – one of the most famous things that ever happened in antitrust is Microsoft saying like those exact words, like we are baking Internet Explorer. It's a core component of yeah. the operating system. So, like, but that wasn't the thing that actually got them in trouble. The thing that got them in trouble was like a variety of pricing schemes and strong arm tactics to make sure Netscape wasn't there. So the Internet Explorer bacon was not the actual. I mean, it was like one piece of it, but like if you look at that case, it was like. It was a it was a massive range of behavior that was like deemed to be illegal. Not just right that started it right like 
did you tie these things together? Did you use your market share in one place to illegally compete in another? Was like basically the story. But like, yeah. And then Microsoft was like to PC vendors, the price of a Windows license skyrockets if you don't bundle in or explore. Like that's the thing. But yeah, but you're right. It's the most famous. What if you could pay fifty dollars more for an iPhone where you could set the default apps? <laughs> I would pay the money. Fifty fifty dollars to unlock. I, I think like a one professional... thing here that is true is most of these companies, the second there's even like the threat of this stuff, mm -hmm. they start responding to it, right? Because they want to ward off the threat. Mm -hmm. So even just talking about it, like makes for better competitive environment, right? Like mm -hmm. even just saying we want to make sure. Because you don't want the government to do it. I agree with you. Mm. The government shouldn't tell mm. Apple how to design the iPhone. Apple should. They should just improve their product by allowing us to set a default browser. Yeah. That would so be a nice feature. It would be great. So the government just like waves, like literally rattles the saber. Mm. Like committees are doing <laughs> stuff. And then Apple's like, well, we, we got to start talking about this. Like that's a, a good outcome. I was talking to a smart antitrust person today. And their point to me was Apple is the most responsive to that. Right? So like... Governments around the world are, are doing this stuff. It seems like Apple is the most responsive. Like, they are making the changes to get out ahead of it. And this person was also like, but if you look, like, Google is the least responsive. So it's not, it doesn't always work. Well, I, but I could already set my own default. In fact, I just set my default browser on um, Android to DuckDuckGo. And sure, I'm having a great time. on this level. But at the same time, Google is like, huh, everyone's interested in antitrust. We're going to go ahead and buy Fitbit. Like they're just like, what if we just buy another company like right now? Like, hey, antitrust regulators, um, can you go ahead and improve this like multi-billion dollar act? Like, they're not gonna do stuff until they're forced to. So Google in Europe has not unbundled or unbundled Chrome and uh, Play services and all that stuff because the European Union forced them to do it. Not because they wanted to or because they saw the lawsuit and they did right. it on their own. But again, they were all along way more open and uh, flexible for users than Apple has ever been on iOS. Yeah, but if you look at the, the, the contractual side, right? If you were Samsung and you wanted to ship a Tizen phone, Google would just yank your Play Store license. Yeah, but if you want to ship an iOS phone, you can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, fair. You know, like... Yeah, so it's, it's just that. Like, I understand that Google was doing dramatic things with its Android license. I'm just saying Apple does not do anything with its iOS license. Yeah, and maybe that's just like a, a reflection of the two businesses. Like maybe we're, I think we're saying the same thing in kind of like different ways. Like the reason Apple is more responsive is because they're just fully in control. Mm -hmm. So they're like, we do not want anything to disturb our control. So we would rather do it on our own. So we see this threat. We're going to make our moves ahead of time and retain all the control. Mm -hmm. Google has like far less control, as we were just talking about. They have this variety of complicated interlocking levers mm -hmm. to sort of control what happens, but they don't actually just have one button to push. And so they, they just slow roll it, and they try to do it contractually, and they end up at the place where the European Union is like, if Samsung wants to ship an Android phone that doesn't have your service, you have to let them. Mm -hmm. You cannot tie them to a contract that says you can't. So, I, I think we're, it's kind of just like two sides of the same coin in that sense. Like mm. Google is less willing to let go of its control because it already has such diffuse control. But it's interesting. Like this is all kind of like a sideline to the real question, which is Safari. And if well, you can set Chrome as a default browser, it kind of doesn't matter if Apple doesn't let another rendering engine on the phone, so, which is a whole host I, of I've problems. Been, I've been sitting here waiting to make this, devil, yeah. this uh, devil's advocate argument just like – So – 
Apple doesn't allow alternative web rendering engines on the iPhone, um, and they will tell you it's probably for like security and privacy reasons because it turns out a web rendering engine can do a lot of nefarious stuff, right? Like cookies and tracking and who knows what else. And it's also uh, potentially really like a security problem for the integrity of the phone itself, which is a thing that uh, Google learned the hard way with Android. Um, they were needing to update the web view for Android so often that they finally just said, screw it, we're putting it into Google Play services so that we can just push out updates whenever we need to. Um, so it's no longer like the the web, the Chrome browser and the rendering engine for Chrome usually gets pushed out via the Google Play services now because it's uh, faster and, and more convenient. Um, so there might be a case that Apple could say, we will let you set Chrome as your default browser, but it still has to use the iPhone's web rendering engine because it's faster and it's more secure and blah, 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 blah. On Android, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, a bunch of the alternative browsers do, in fact, use Blink, uh, which is, you know, the Chrome OS, you know, they, or they're Chromium-based or whatever. Uh, I'm pretty sure Firefox on Android is based on Phoenix, um, but I actually got to double-check that. Don't hold me to that. But um, there is potentially a case to be made that, that you they could allow alternative default browsers but not... Uh, let let those browsers be, uh, you know, a different rendering engine. But it gets super complicated. So, for example, when you click a link in Twitter, what happens? You cry. <laughs> it opens in an in-app browser, yeah. right? The and amp link that I don't want happens to me basically in Basically Safari. Yeah. yeah. Um, on, on Android, it's the same thing. But, uh, you know, on the, on the Samsung phone, for example, the in-app browser is like the Samsung browser, <laughs> right? Or if I set Edge as my default browser on Android, the in-app browser just becomes Edge, which is really fascinating. So on Apple, those things are a little bit more separated. So, for example, if you are logged in on your Chrome browser and you click and you open up an in-app browser in Twitter, well, it just knows that you're logged in. You don't have to do it again. Yeah. So all these complaints that people have, like, oh, God, I got to log in again, blah, 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 blah. Like, you actually experience that about half as much on Android as you do on the iPhone. That's wild. I mean, the the how does the a world of logins work when uh, across services when cookies are illegal, which is, like, where we're going, Uh is like one of the biggest open conversations there is. I think if they let third-party browsers using the using the Safari rendering engine be set as a default, I would I would not be like a hundred percent happy. But that is a significant concession, right? That is like it's still a huge move because the third-party browsers can do a bunch of other stuff that. Well, and right now, the gets infrastructure no is there. Uh, Apple doesn't give you like really, really clear access to it in the way you can on Android. But like, if you click on a link that is like a Twitter link, it'll open the Twitter app, right? Yeah, most of the time in other apps. So like, they know how to direct links to different apps if they want to. So like, they if they wanted to, they could let you direct just plain HTTP you know links to Chrome. They could like they could do it. They know they they have the technology. None of them are as egregious as Mail. Yeah, like that's just the one. Just mm. like honestly, yeah. Like you, they have to know. Like Eddie Q has to be like, I'm sending email. Be like, I we didn't do a good job. Of that feeling when you click on somebody's name because you think it's maybe a link to their bio yeah. or their Twitter profile, and it happens to be an email link. Like, yeah. oh no, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why did this happen to me? Like I said, it's, it's just a German report. They're talking about it. I, I hope it happens for – I think everyone would be happy. I think it would improve the phone. Yeah. I think most people would still use the defaults. Apple would be happy. But it's just – the thing that is the most interesting to me is this connection between, okay, there's been all this all this noise, 
And now this company that desperately wants to retain control is going to give up a slice of it over here so that governments don't actually tell them what to do. It's not a necessarily a bad outcome. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the tension you want that still doesn't require old Johnny FBI to show up at your door. <laughs> no, he just, he just threatens you. <laughs> yeah, that's what you want. Johnny FBI threatening Tim Cook. He just calls you up and he just breathes into the phone, but he doesn't say anything. Now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> it's perfect. All right, that's the first cast. Thank you for listening. We're back on Tuesday. Brian Seleski is the CEO of Argo AI, self-driving car company. It's just 30 minutes of saying when are self-driving car companies happening, or when is self-driving happening. I thought you already talked to somebody at... No, we talked to we we've talked to a lot of self driving CEOs. Uh, okay, okay, it's, a it's, it's, it's always the same. Is I'm it sorry. happening? Is it here? When is it happening? Uh, but he's really fun. Uh, Andy Hawkins did that with me, and then we're back next week. The chat show. It's just going to keep happening. We'll talk to you soon. You can tweet at us, by the way. I'm reckless. Paul's future. Paul. Dieter's back on. Dieter has a newsletter. I do. What's it it's called? It's at theverge.com/newsletter. It's a processor. It's a newsletter about computers. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Goodbye. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.